Father in heaven, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters today who are going through difficult times. God, whether that be relationally or spiritually, emotionally, financially, God, whatever the situation, I pray that you would let them sense your peace and your power at this moment. I pray that you would place your hand upon them and by your righteous right hand that you would strengthen their fortitude, that you would give them courage, that you would give them strength. Lord, I pray that as a body, as a church, you would give us wisdom, you would give us strength and encouragement to worship you, but also, Father, to minister grace to our brothers and sisters who have need. So, God, I pray that they would make their needs known, that they would allow them, allow us to come along aside of them and minister and assist and do what we can and trust You with what we cannot do. So, God, I pray this prayer. I pray Your promises that greater is He that is in us than he that's in the world, that You will meet our needs according to Your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. God, I pray these promises of Your Word upon them. And God, I thank You for what You are doing even at this moment. I thank You for what You will do in the days ahead as they walk through the valley of the shadows. In the valley of shadow of death, God, I pray that it would not be death to their spirits and it would not be death to their bodies, but God, that You would carry them when necessary and that You would strengthen them daily. So I pray this blessing. I pray Your Spirit of power. I pray Your Spirit of healing upon each of these today and upon our church body. And we will give You the praise and the glory for what You will do. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, we'll be beginning this morning... In the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we are talking this morning about biblical principles of giving. I know some of you are already mad, which is a bad sign. Bad sign for you, quite frankly. You know, uh, there's, a, there's a handout that has a lot of the Scriptures that I'm going to, to use and, and even more, just uh, a plethora of Scriptures on giving. And if I were to read this, some of you would get mad every time I, I read another one, which is really just kind of a spiritual thermometer in our heart, isn't it? It kind of gives a gauge of kind of where we are spiritually with God. And when there's anger around the issue of giving, when there should be a spirit of thanksgiving, it just is a really a key sign of what's going on in us. Now, let me just tell you right up front, this isn't one of those big guilt-you-into-giving kind of things. Uh, the real truth of it is our church is very healthy financially. Uh, we, uh, we try to give a lot to missions. We try to give a lot to needs within our church. And we want to continue to do that. So the purpose is not we're about to shut doors. And if you don't start giving, we're going to have to stop business and stop ministry. Okay? 
that that's not I don't have some ulterior motive. Now, it, it would be wonderful if we could pay that building off and not have to put, give the bank any interest. Yeah, that'd be great. And so I encourage you to help on that. But let me tell you this. If you don't, we're going to keep going. And we're just going to keep paying the bank interest, all right? Uh, so that's not the purpose of this sermon. This is about worship. This is about spiritually who God has called us to be and what is expected and, and how we can grow in our love and in our praise and our worship of Christ. It's about loving God with all that we are and making more and better followers of Christ, which is our mission. So I want you to hear that. You know, it, it, it's when you talk about giving, it, it always reminds me of the story. When, when I was younger, I, I used to always want to participate with communion. You know, when the Lord's Supper would come by, I'd always want to get that. My mother wouldn't let me. And I was kind of a slow kid. I was probably six before I got it on why I couldn't have it. And I to me, it just looked like crackers and Kool-Aid, and I didn't understand why I couldn't get them in here. And so I, it reminds me of the story of this little boy. He's four years old, and his mom had repeatedly told him, look, you have to wait. You're not ready for communion. This is not for you. The tray came by, and he decided to grab one. She slapped his hand, made him put it back, and he was just stewing. Well, later toward the end of the service, the offering came, and as she would... Uh, do commonly do. She gave him a dollar, and she goes, all right, put this in the offering plate, Johnny, when it comes by. Well, when the offering plate came by, he just passed it on. She goes, Johnny, put the dollar in. Nope. Johnny, put the dollar in. Nope. Look, Mom, if I don't get to eat, I'm not going to pay. <laughs> and a lot of times, people simply look at church in that manner. How am, how am I going to benefit? And if I don't get certain things, then I'm not going to give. And I'm not going to see a need to give. And somehow we make it more about us. We make it about a building. We make it about whatever we want to make it about. But the bottom line is giving is just a common aspect and an essential part, an essential ingredient of our faith. Let me give you two key terms for us to understand when we're thinking about giving, because I think this will help us as we look at Scriptures in just a moment. There's two words I want you to understand. first one is this. It's precept. Precept. What is precept? Precept, well, pretty much for our, the focus of our conversation today is the law. And I can define it very, very simply for you. It's what's commanded and it's what's condemned. Okay? Mosaic law made that pretty clear and pretty understandable. Uh, so precepts are this. It's what is commanded and it's what is condemned. Principle, on the other hand, is this. It's, what behind, it's what's behind the precept. It's the heart of the precept. It's what is most honoring to God. Now, let me give you an every, everyday illustration. If you had a son or a daughter who had become a teenager and, and they were of driving age, <clears throat> and you determined, okay, I'm going to let you drive, one set of parents might handle it this way, such as my father. <clears throat> Son, I'm going to give you the keys, but let, let's have a very clear understanding. First time you have an accident, first time you get a speeding ticket, first time I see you acting a fool, that's it. You're done. All right? And you don't drive again while you're in my house. Matter of fact, I'd like you to sign this right here. Okay? So it was a precept. It's like, this is what happened. I do this. This happens. Now, another set of parents might handle it this way. You may think your son or daughter is barely mature. And you might say it this way. 
Now, I'm going to allow you to have the keys to the car, but here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that you be respectful of the car, you be respectful of the laws of the land, and that you honor them. And as long as you can do this, I'm going to give you the privilege of driving the car, but if not, then we're going to have to come back and reassess the situation. So, do we understand? Yes, Dad. Yes, Mom. You see the difference? One's a precept. One's a principle. One is based on the maturity and understanding. And it's a respect. And it's an honor relationship. The other one is a law relationship. Now, unfortunately for mankind, we, we pretty much necessitate both. And there are certainly precepts given to us in the New Testament. But the Old Testament is very, very distinguishable. The problem is a lot of times you will hear phrases like this. Well, tithing, that's Old Testament. That's under the law. I don't believe that's for today. I'm under grace. I call that actually reverse legalism is usually what we're saying. Uh, Legalism would be this. Legalism is I have to do this amount because that's what it said, and I do that amount, and then I'm done. And if I do any less or any more, uh, then that's not necessarily it. It's it's the specific 10%, and um, I don't have to do any more, and that's it. I'm done. Or... Uh, reverse legalism was, well, you know, that was the Old Testament. I don't have to do any of that. I just love God. I, I try to love Him with my actions. And, uh, and you know, sure, if I see something every once in a while, I'll, I'll throw a dollar in. I'm under grace, you know. And that's the way a lot of people will do it. It's called, And that's why I made that term up, reverse legalism. It's just kind of a Holtonism. It helps people like me to understand it a little bit better. But a lot of times we find people, a lot of times, in that extreme. What's interesting, as we look at Scripture and as we look at the Bible, uh, we see certainly precepts about giving, give, giving given to us, but certainly principles as well. Leviticus 27, uh, we see the beginning of the Mosaic tithe. We see where the law of tithing begins. In Hebrews chapter 5, we see the worship system prescribed giving, according to Hebrews 5.1. Matthew 2.11, we see the Magi come and, and give as an act of worship. In Acts chapter 2, as the church was starting in verse 42 through 47, giving was a key ingredient of worship. And in 1 Corinthians 16, we see how Paul tells the churches to take up a collection each Sunday, each Sabbath, as they are to give. So, what about it? What about giving? What about tithing? I mean, there's the big pink elephant, so to speak, out there. What are we to do? What does the Bible tell us? Well, again, I've presented you some scriptures, but I also want to present you with some background and some understanding. When we talk about principles and precepts, I think it's very important that we understand that. We understand what's behind the law. Let me give you an example, like with the Ten Commandments. For example, uh, let's take... The first commandment of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord thy God, and you shall have no other gods before me. Well, if I'm a very legalistic person, I can say, well, I have no other gods. I don't have any little idols sitting up in my house. I don't worship any other god but just Jesus. And um, I got that one down. But in fact, the principle would be anything that receives more glory and more honor in my life is another God. It doesn't have to be an idol. That's the principle. When we get hung up in the precept, for some of us, we think that's an easy way to live. Take this one. 
adultery. And the Pharisees, Jesus addresses this in the New Testament, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, the Pharisees would think, well, uh, yeah, we haven't slept with anybody else's wife. We're good. Got it down. But Jesus comes in, and what does, he, what does He do? He enacts the principle. If you've looked at a woman who's not your wife and have lusted her in your own heart, then you've committed adultery. See the principle? The precept's actually easier. Same thing with murder. If you hate someone within your heart and you seek to destroy their character, then you have committed murder. The principle. I mean, most of us have not been guilty of murder and probably won't murder anybody, but virtually all of us have been guilty of murder if we think about how we have maybe attacked someone's character and destroyed a piece of who they are. The principle, in fact, is much deeper and much more mature. Well, what were the purposes for the tithe anyway? Well, we know in the Old Testament that they had four primary purposes. Number one is for the Levites and the priests. Uh, they were the ones who were leading the people in worship. They were taking care of the temple. They were teaching. And so part of the money went there. Secondly, the temple and its upkeep. The building of the temple and then its maintenance and its upkeep. Uh, the third place that it would go would be to the poor. And then the fourth would be uh, for their festivals, for their celebrations. There would be times, certainly we know of, Passover and Feast of Booths and things of that nature, but also they would have uh, times where they would come together and have a common meal and invite the community, invite, as the Scriptures would call it, the, the aliens, those who were not native-born uh, Hebrews, and would invite them to come because God had intended from the very beginning that the Israelites wouldn't just be a closed nation and that they would be the chosen nation, but they would be a light unto the world, that they would draw others to know Yahweh God and come and worship Him. So those were the four purposes in the Old Testament. So in actuality, tithing was before the Mosaic Law because we see it occurring nearly 500 years before Mosaic Law uh, commenced by Abraham. Uh, we see it by Jacob. We see it by Moses. We see it in Malachi. We see it commended by Jesus in Matthew 23 and recognized in the book of Hebrews 7, 8. Now let's take Hebrews chapter 11 for just a moment and let's read that passage, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. <coughs> we just saw some of the ancients or some of the patriarchs, uh, some of those from the Old Testament that were listed. And by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. In case you ever wonder how the universe came about. So what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Now we don't know exactly what the contents of Cain and Abel's sacrifice was. We, we don't really know and I don't know that that's really the important thing. But here's what we do know. We know that what Cain gave must have been somewhat of a token or an afterthought because his sacrifice, so to speak, is condemned. His offering is condemned. But Abel's is blessed. As a matter of fact, to this extent, the Bible tells us in verse 4, by faith Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did, and by faith he was commended as a righteous man. Really, 
The only thing that we know about Abel is what he gave and then what happened to him. We only, that, that's the only thing we know about it. But the Bible says this, that he was commended as a righteous man, and when God spoke well of his offering, and by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. So God reckoned him and recognized him as a righteous man, and God spoke well of him and of his offerings. And by faith, the faith that he used to give, he still speaks today. His testimony still speaks today. Let me ask you this. If the better sacrifice, if the better offering was that of Abel, and if that was sacrificial for him, what do you think the principle is for us today? Before law, so let's, let's just get away from the whole law business for a second, for those of you who get stuck on that. I know somebody will be my I, I, I love those conversations afterwards. Uh, but let's just talk about before and after the law. Okay, would everybody agree that um, Abel was before the law? Okay, let's just all agree on that. All right, so if we take Abel as an example, what have we to learn from this passage? Well, that there's a principle and there's an expectation of God of our gifts, of our giving. Cut and dry. We can say what we want, but that's the reality of it. We see it all through Scripture, and we see in Psalms chapter 50, verse 10, that giving is a reminder that God owns everything. It is holy unto the Lord. The tithe is, according to Leviticus 27. It reminds us that God gives us the power and the ability to acquire wealth, to teach us to revere the Lord and to honor the Lord. We see church fathers and historians who taught tithing, uh, Cyprian. We also see uh, many others who taught it, the apostolic constitutions, Rome, Ambrose, Augustine, Christendom, John Calvin, D.L. Moody. Billy Graham says, The Bible teaches tithing. A tithe is one-tenth of your income. The one-tenth of your income belongs to the Lord. In addition to your tithe, you should give as the Lord prospers you. The tithe's purpose is to be a testimony of God's ownership. Each believer should give bountifully and cheerfully. So, what kind of giving exists? What kind of giving is there then? Well, let's look at one more passage. Let's look at Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, beginning with the first verse. Luke chapter 21, beginning with the first verse. Let's look at that for just a moment. You're very familiar with this story probably. Luke 21, verse 1, And he looked up, and Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. One type of giving is token giving. The Chamba River in India, uh, many people will, will pass over that river by train and they'll throw coins in there thinking that they are winning favor with God, with one of the particular the Hindu gods. 
Sometimes we find ourselves as evangelicals do the same thing of throwing tokens, of throwing a little bit just to relieve maybe our guilt, just so I don't have to think about it, just so I can feel like I've done something. Donald Miller, the author of Blue Like Jazz, tells a story of when he was an older teenager. He uh, had gotten some money before Christmas, and he was excited about it, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to go out and buy this high-end fishing equipment that I've been wanting. And he stopped and he thought, well, if I spend all this, I'm not going to have anything for my mom. And his mom was a single mom. She worked very hard to just supply their basic needs, but she always sacrificially did whatever it took to meet Donald's needs. And uh, so he took that money and he thought, well, that's fine. I'll find something for her. And so he bought the, the fishing equipment, and he had about a dollar left over. And he went past a clearance rack, and he noticed there was a book there, and, uh, and I believe the book was on carpentry, of which his mother had no interest, no tools, and, and no clue. Didn't, didn't, nothing that she would have ever been concerned about or have any interest in. But he went ahead and picked it up because it was a dollar, 99 cents. And so he wrapped it up, and then Christmas Eve came, and he recognized what his mom was giving him. He recognized that she had really had to work hard and really sacrificed to give what she was giving him that Christmas and he said, I felt so guilty that night. I remember going and finding that book, and I felt so incredibly remorseful that I went to her door, and I just fell at the door. I was waiting for her to come out. I was going to go in, but I couldn't do anything because I felt so guilty. And so for two hours, I just lay on the floor right there. And, and finally, after a while, I got up, and I went back to my bed and waiting for morning. Then morning came, and Mom gave me these terrific gifts that she had no business paying for. And then I had my little book. And, I, and as I gave it to her, I started to cry. And I said, Mom, I am so sorry. She goes, why? I, I'm so sorry. This is all I have for you. She opened it up and she pretended like she was interested in it. And like she wanted to even learn more about it and actually use the book. And he said, you know what? God spoke to me that day. I, I recognize that that's often the way that I respond to God. That if there happens to be something left over, God, I'll, I'll give it to you. But in actuality, it wasn't worship at all. My mother honored me. She sacrificed for me. And I had an opportunity to love her, but I passed. And I gave her a lesser offering instead of the better offering. Token giving, guilt giving, law giving, so I can check the box, or worship giving. Back to our text. We see that the woman here gave of the best that she had, of all that she had, but the others simply gave out of their wealth. In other words, they gave of their excess, of what they had left over. In Hebrews 11, verse 4, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did, and by faith it was commended him as a righteous man. And when God spoke well of his offering, and by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. What is faith giving? What is worship giving? It's giving that honors God. It's giving from a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. It's giving in sacrifice. Tim Keller tells a story about a gardener who was really a peasant in a kingdom, but... In his garden one day, he grew a beautiful carrot. 
And it was huge. It was the largest carrot that anyone had ever seen, the most beautiful carrot anyone had been ever seen. And he thought, I want to honor my king. So he gathered that carrot up and he put it uh, in his basket and he took it before the king and he said, Oh, great king, I want to give you this carrot in honor of who you are, in honor of your great service to our kingdom. It is the largest and most beautiful carrot anyone has ever seen in all of this land. The king was so touched and impressed, he said, I want to give you charge of my garden and all the land that is there. And you are free to raise all the carrots and all the vegetables that you like. You are free to take whatever you like and to raise those for my kingdom. And any time you see fit to give them out or to take from your family, you are welcome to it. You are now in charge of my land. A nobleman who was in the court saw what had occurred and he thought to himself, if one can simply give a carrot... What if I gave something of great value? What might the king do for me? And so that nobleman went out and he found the most beautiful stallion in all the land and he purchased it. And he brought that stallion back and he brought it to the king and he said, Oh, great king, I want to honor you. And I want to give you this beautiful stallion. It is the most beautiful. It is the most prestigious. The purest blood of the bloodline. It is the fastest. It is the greatest stallion of all the land, and I give it to you. The king simply nodded and received the horse and then left the court without really saying a word. Later on, the nobleman came before the king and he said, Great king, I, I was surprised by your response. For a peasant brought you a carrot and you gave him, all, uh, you gave him authority over all your land and Allow him to use your garden as he sees fit and take from it whatever he desires. And yet I give you this tremendous stallion and you hardly even recognize me or acknowledge it. Oh, king, I don't understand. And the king said, if you did not give the stallion for my honor, you gave the stallion for yourself. There's a great truth there for us in grace-giving, in precept-giving, and in principle-giving. It's not ourselves that we are giving to. It is an act of worship to God. The question is not, will we give, but for whom shall we give? Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the principles and precepts that You've given to us that Show us the act of worship, the worship of giving. Lord, I pray that each believer in this room today might be encouraged, if they are not giving now, to begin to give. To, Lord, to give of their tithes and their offerings to You as an act of worship, as an act of thanksgiving, as an act of faith. It is a testimony of who we are and how we feel about You. God, I thank You for enabling us to meet needs in this community, in this body. And Lord, we want to continue to do so and to meet even more needs. God, we want to continue to send people out, uh, whether it be Africa or whether it be locally. God, we want to make an impact. And You've chosen as a method of the, the resources for us to do that 
the giving of Your people. So I pray, Father, that as we are faithful, that You would bless us as individuals and as a church. But most of all, that You would be honored and glorified. Thank You for this time today. In Your name I pray. Amen.